The story is verbally handed down through the years is as follows. The church was established in 1848. The original church building was located on half an acre on Galbraith Road, donated by Samuel J. Prouder. That building burned to the ground. Then Martin and Stephen Barnes donated the land on Blue Rock Road. This quilt was created in 1887 as a fundraiser to erect a new building on that site. Each member of the church paid a dime to have their name embroidered on the quilt. The ladies of the church embroidered and sewed to create this quilt, which was then auctioned off to the highest bidder. What is a legacy? We just heard a story about the legacy some people left behind for White Oak over a hundred years ago. I think we oftentimes hear this word and for each of us, it harbors up different feelings and ideas of what it means. For some of us, a legacy is the people we leave behind, our family. It's the kids we've raised and the names that they carry with them that we handed down. For others, legacy is about the monetary things we leave behind our possessions and our inheritance for our next generation, or maybe for different organizations and charities. What our money can do is sometimes what defines our legacy. For some of you, the legacy might be about the impacts we make on society through our ideas and discoveries. Science and education are many times the place where those people of intellect work to cement their legacy amongst the world. Is a legacy something where you are looking to make an impact on the world by the difference that you make in people's lives? It's the way you treated people and helped people feel something more was happening. I will admit that much of my legacy is fostered in my two sons, Sam and Isaac. When I look at those boys, I see my future, even though they will hopefully outlive me. This is why I teach them all the important things about life, things like how to tell a great joke, or the love of baseball, right? Or the deliciousness of Skyline Chili, just to name a few. This is my legacy. I look at them and realize that they are one of many Emmons boys who will carry our name into the future. You see, my dad had three brothers growing up, and of those four boys, three of them had two boys each. And so of those six next generation, there are five more sons already born from those. The Emmons name continues to move forward. We have a legacy there. So what does legacy mean to you? Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines legacy as something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. For most of these ideas around legacy, we can see that our legacy that we receive, it's coming from somewhere in the past. Maybe it was your parents, but maybe it was your grandparent, or your great-grandparent, or even your great-great-grandparent. What is done in the past will oftentimes be a part of the legacy we leave. And here's the truth. Sometimes you may never see the legacy you leave. It's true. For some of us, the legacy we leave behind will not be realized or experienced while we're on this earth. My boys may make a difference in this world I never could, and it could happen long after I'm gone. See, my mom was not alive to see my boys born. She died even before I met and married my wife, Pam. However, each day when I look at them, I see a part of her. 
her legacy lives on. The Bible talks a lot about legacies. In Genesis, we see so many examples of people who followed God's path, and as a result, God told them their legacy would be far greater than they could ever imagine. And this theme continues throughout the Old Testament. I mean, through the King David and his lineage and beyond. And so today, we're going to be talking about a prophet whose story is all about legacy. This man was named Elisha. Now, Elisha was a student of Elijah. I know, we can make this a more confusing, like Elijah leads Elisha. Believe me, I'm expecting to probably say Elijah sometime instead of Elisha in this message. Anyway, as Elijah grew older, he, he received a word from God that he was to appoint a new prophet to replace him. And this was going to be Elisha. So Elijah goes to find Elisha as he's told. Now this starts off with Elijah dealing with his legacy, right? Like God is telling Elijah that his time is coming soon and that as a result, he needs to find someone who's going to take his place. This is how God works with leaders. God is regularly calling us to be replacing ourselves as leaders. This is one way that God gives us legacy. Our legacy is found in the people we train. At White Oak, we want this to be a place where we regularly look for the next generation of leaders who God is calling into ministry. We want to be equipping those leaders to find their gifts and talents and using those for the kingdom. This is what Elijah is doing in calling Elisha. So Elijah goes and finds Elisha as he's told, and here's how the story goes. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Jephat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Now here is Elijah out in the fields, tending to the twelve yoke of oxen. Now, we pass over this trivial piece of information, but I want to stop and look at it. A yoke was a device that was used to attach two oxen together to plow a field. It was also used to help guide them and get them to move as you wanted. Take a look at this picture. This is what a yoke looks like. So a yoke of oxen was probably meaning that each yoke was connecting two oxen. So Elisha is out here with possibly as many as 24 oxen. Listen, even today, 24 head of cattle is not a cheap amount. This was a pretty substantial number of oxen. This means that Elisha was probably also working a large amount of land. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Elisha was coming from a wealthy place. These were not poor people. And so you might be saying, so what? Listen, what's intriguing to me is that in a moment where Elisha could have said, hey, Elijah, thanks and all, but I think my legacy is better served continuing my family's wealth and occupation. Or he could have said, oh, man, you know, I've got it set here. I don't need to give up any of this, and I'll live a happy, fulfilled life. 
Instead, we see a very different story. Not only did Elisha give up the legacy of his family, but he actually gave it all away. The story says he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. First of all, that is disturbing about boiling the flesh of the oxen. Okay, let me start there. But you'll notice he actually used the yoke, the things holding them together, to create the fires to boil the flesh. I mean, he got rid of everything. And you could probably ask, why did he do this? First, he fed all kinds of people with it. So this was definitely an act of kindness. But why not just leave this with his family? I think it's because Elisha knew he wanted no way back. Those who God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. In the story of Elisha, we see that when he was called to join Elijah, he made it impossible to return to his life. He burnt the yoke he needed to work, as well as the oxen were dead. There is a song, Burn the Ships, by King and Country. You may have heard it. And part of the chorus of this song goes like this. Burn the ships, cut the ties. Send a flare into the night. Say a prayer, turn the tide dry your tears, and wave goodbye. Now this song idea comes from a historical story. There was a Spanish conquistador in the 1500s by the name of Hernán Cortés. He was setting out to conquer Mexico and defeat the Aztec people. However, his men who were with him, they didn't seem to share his passion. So to give them no option to revolt or retreat, Cortés ordered that the ships be sunk. Now, now, some people will tell you the story that Cortez ordered the ships torn apart and, and the wood burned. But most historians would say that he just ordered them to be sunk. Either way, Cortez knew that for victory to happen, his men needed no escape hatch. Listen, oftentimes we go into our faith with an escape hatch as well. We want to follow God's plan for our lives, but we have a backup plan in place just in case things don't work out. We hold on to the past because we're worried the future won't be as bright as we had it. We want to let sin go, but we continue to keep the devices of that struggle in our life. We trust that God will provide for us, but continue to hoard our money just in case He doesn't. Just like Cortez and just like Elisha, we need to be willing to burn the ship or sacrifice the oxen that we're holding on to. God is calling for us to let go of the past and be willing to run to the future with dedication and desire for His plan and His legacy. Your legacy starts with letting go of your past. So Elijah was sold out from the start. And the interesting thing is that we don't see any part of the story where Elijah took some convincing. I mean, Elijah just comes up and Elisha says, I'm in. I mean, how many times have you found yourself being willing to do that? I think we live in a culture that's, that's pretty skeptical and untrusting. And as a result, we are regularly looking for evidence and proof before putting our trust in anything. People, sometimes God calls us to move without knowing why. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Elisha obeyed. And then we don't see him for a while. Actually, Elisha's not mentioned again until we see Elijah about to be taken to heaven. 
We have to assume that Elisha was in the process of being apprenticed and taught by Elijah, but we have no details of this. All we know is that now Elijah is going to be taken to heaven. Now, I want you to note here, Elijah doesn't die. And so, as Elijah is going to heaven, he asks Elisha if there is anything he can do for him. Here's what it says in 2 Kings chapter 2. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elijah said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up with a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Now this is important because Elisha is offered the chance for one final thing from Elijah. It's a dying wish that Elijah is going to give to Elisha. And so Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Can you imagine the respect and honor this gave to Elijah? Elisha had seen such wisdom, power, and faith in him, and, and he is saying, hey, if you can give me anything, then give me double of what you have because it's amazing. And so Elijah grants this request, and, and Elisha is given double the spirit. Now, amazingly, Elijah is passing on a legacy that he's never going to see. This goes back to our big idea. You may never see the legacy you leave. Elijah is not going to see the amazing miracles and acts of Elisha, but he knows that he's left him in the place to continue on God's plans. So, Elisha becomes the prophet of his time, and he begins to travel around. Now, I'm going to tell you a side story here, because right after Elisha experiences this blessing from Elijah, he is leaving Jericho, and he's heading towards Bethel, and we experience this really weird story. I want you to check this out. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head! Go up, you bald head! And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore forty-two of the boys. I'm sorry, what did we just read? Did I actually read that that just say that, that boys made fun of Elijah's bald head and he commanded two she-bears to eat 42 of them? Seriously, Old Testament? This is definitely a strange story of the Bible, but it actually has a point. You see, while it seems harsh at first, okay, you have to keep in mind that this group of boys, they were old enough to be out running in a pack, right? And honestly, they were probably a physical threat to Elisha. So he was protecting both himself, but his belief in God. This story was really meant to show that contempt for God has disastrous side effects. Don't let your legacy be that of someone who shows disrespect to God. Now back to the story. Elisha's now traveling around, and he's doing things he's called to do. And there are a number of stories out there that occur. And listen, we don't have time to cover them all today, but there are a few I just want to share with you. One of the first happened right after Elijah had left. 
the armies of Judah were in the war with the Moabites. They were suffering because they're out in the desert and there was this drought going on. I mean, deserts are dry, but imagine one in a drought. Basically, you have men and animals dying because there was no water to drink. So the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, called upon Elisha to help him. And here's what happens. Read with me. But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, I will make this dry steam bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind or rain, but that steam bed shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree and stuff up all springs of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. The next morning, about the time of offering the sacrifice, behold, water came from the direction of Edom till the country was filled with water. Now, this was a miracle, but there's something here that you don't see. In other translations of this passage, particularly in the King James Version, here is what they actually said in verse 16. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. See, Elijah is about to perform a miracle, but he calls upon the king to order his men to dig ditches. Can you imagine the king's response? Dig ditches? Elisha, we're dying out here from thirst and the heat, and you want me to order men to dig ditches? Are you nuts? But listen, they do what they're told, and what we see is that God fills these ditches and pools with all the water they need. This story is going to show us that for God's legacy to come to fruition, sometimes we have to have faith that is big, but be willing to start small. Maybe you found yourself asking God for a miracle and you're sitting back and waiting for that miracle to come. God might actually be telling you to get up and be part of the miracle. Like maybe you're looking for healing either physically or mentally. And God may be telling you to go see a doctor or a therapist who can aid you on that path. Maybe you're out of work and you're struggling to get by. You need to be willing to take whatever job that comes along to help you be ready for something else He has in store. When you're praying for your kids to know Jesus, be sure you are taking every opportunity to tell them about Him every day. You see, for me, this is a personal story. When I felt a calling from God to go into ministry, I had no clue what that meant. I knew God was pointing me somewhere, but I was not sure where. Now, I could have said to God, listen, show me exactly what it is you want me to do and I'll go there. Actually, I'm pretty sure I did say that a few times, but it didn't happen. Instead, I just felt this calling to make myself available. So wherever I was worshiping, I made myself available to serve in whatever capacity they needed. This included when I came to White Oak. Let me tell you, when that happened, God literally kept putting me in more leadership roles and more places I never expected to be. When I sat down and told Nathan I wanted to be in ministry, he took me on as someone to mentor. 
I led life groups and men's ministry trips. I was given the opportunity to stand here and share with all of you. And then God revealed His plan, His legacy for me. All because I was willing to start small and dig ditches, so to speak. Now, Elisha continued to serve the Israelite people throughout his life, and he performed a number of miracles. I would encourage you to read about all of them because they're pretty good. Read 2 Kings and see for yourself. Now, you'll remember that Elisha had asked Elijah for a double portion of spirit. And up to this point, it really looked to be happening. I mean, if you read through Scripture, you can actually see that Elijah, he performed 14 miracles. And as Elijah's days were coming to an end, he had performed 27 miracles. And then Elisha died. Man, what a bummer. He got so close, right? I mean, 27 miracles is a lot of miracles. But it would have been cool if he'd hit 28 and actually had had the double miracles of Elijah. Let's read this passage about Elisha's death. So Elisha died, and they buried him. Now, bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Did you just see that? Elisha is dead and buried, and when they threw the body of another dead man in and he touched Elisha, he was brought back to life. That's 28. Oh yeah, man, he hit it. This is an amazing story and one that really proves the point that you may never see the legacy you leave. You see, Elisha's legacy is the presence of the Lord's power within him. Even after his death, Israel is reminded of how close Elisha walked with the Lord and Elisha wasn't even there to see it. And this may be true for each of us as well. God calls each of our legacies to be more about what He is doing than something else. It is bigger than our family name or our riches or our fame or our intellect. It's about our commitment to expand the kingdom of God on this earth. And sometimes the impact we make for God is never seen by our eyes. And this all starts by understanding that we have to rely on Jesus to make this happen. We have to put our faith and legacy into the things not of this world, but in the death of Jesus that makes salvation possible for us today. When we unite with Jesus, Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection, we live a new life. It says in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus chose to die for our sins and make a way so that all people could receive grace. This was his legacy and the most important legacy any man could ever leave. And so we have to ask ourselves a few things. One, are we willing to accept that legacy? Remember what I said earlier, you, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Listen, you don't need to know all the answers to faith and Jesus and Christianity right now to be able to take this step. God is calling each of us to be part of the legacy that His Son made for us all those years ago on the cross. 
In the same way Elisha brought a dead man back to life, the death of Jesus, it paved a way for all of us who are dead in our sin and our pain and our anger and grief and depression to be made alive again. So take that step. The second thing is this, what legacy are you working to leave? Are you working to make a difference in the lives of your kids or your coworkers or your friends or neighbors so that they can know Jesus? Maybe you'll never get to see the impact this makes in their lives. Listen, God's just calling you to be part of his legacy. And that is a legacy of trust and obedience to lead others onto the path to full life in Jesus. Mm -hmm.